Uh, you may or may not remember this. Uh, I think it was about a year ago. I did a couple lessons looking at Jesus through the eyes of different people. Um, I did a lesson on Jesus through the eyes of Simeon. Remember Luke chapter 2, and we talked about the things that Simeon sees in Jesus. I even I did one other lesson called Jesus through the eyes of a criminal when he's hanging on the cross and the things that he sees in Jesus at the end of his life. Um, my original plan, I'll be honest with you, is to continue in our love series from 1 Corinthians. I'm not quite ready for the next one yet. Um, <coughs> those have been a lot of work on my part just because... I've never done stuff like that, so it's taking a lot of thinking through for me personally. Not that they come out so much better than any of my other lessons, but it just takes a lot of chewing on my part. So I was thinking, I was like, well, I'm not quite ready for this love lesson. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? And uh, I thought, you know, I did that about a year ago, and I realized there was one other guy that I really liked talking about um, in the context of what he sees in Jesus, and that's Nathaniel. Um, some people call him Bartholomew. Some people think they're the same person. That's kind of the popular thought. In John chapter 1, we see pretty much everything that we know about this Nathaniel character is in John chapter 1. Um, so I want to look at that. I know <laughs> this is kind of a weird way to follow up a couple of lessons I did a year later, kind of randomly, but I was just thinking about it, and I thought, well... They don't build on each other so much as it, you know, it's important to remember every little thing that I said. But this is kind of another take on that. So I'm going to do Jesus through the eyes of Nathaniel. Um, so in John chapter 1, I want us to read uh, verses 43 through verse 51. Give me a moment to turn there myself. Um, okay, we'll begin in John 1, 43. And in this lesson, I want to focus on some of the things that Nathaniel sees in Jesus. So be looking for those as we read. Beginning at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I, there's a lot of questions I have about this story um, that I don't necessarily have answers for. Um, for instance... What does Jesus mean when he says, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you? Is this like some supernatural power that there's like no way Jesus could have seen him under that fig tree? And so he's like, wow, he's got to be someone big, someone important. Or maybe the end of this story where Jesus says, you'll see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, I have ideas about what some of this stuff means, but I don't really totally know. Um... 
But I will say I do understand what Nathaniel sees in Jesus. I might not always understand why, and it even seems like on some physical, just human level, Jesus is like, you see this in me just because I said this? Like even Jesus seems like this is kind of impressive, right? He maybe doesn't, as best as Jesus can get to this, doesn't understand Nathaniel in this way. But Nathaniel sees some things in Jesus through this dialogue, through his story of getting to know Jesus that I think are really important. And each time we look at one of these things that Nathaniel sees, I want to take a second and ask us the question, do we see the same thing? Um, so look at verse 49. Verse 49 contains most of what we're looking at in this story. Nathaniel answered him, and this is when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before you were called by Philip. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There's four things I want us to see that Philip says. Three of them are contained in this verse. The first one is Rabbi. I think most of us have at least some understanding of what it means to call someone a rabbi in Jewish culture. We don't really do that today. We might say teacher, right? You're my teacher. I think rabbi, it certainly involves teacher, but as far as I can understand it, it's a little more inclusive. Uh, we also, in the United States, have incorporated some Eastern ideas in the last few years. We might say things like guide or mentor as well. That's kind of wrapped up in this idea of a rabbi. You're a spiritual teacher and guide, a mentor. Um, and so Nathaniel says to Jesus, in verse 49, rabbi. Someone that he hadn't had a relationship with really up until this point. This is kind of his first dialogue with Jesus that we know of. And it seems fair to say that the, the implication of this passage, the necessary conclusion here is this is Nathaniel's first real interaction with Jesus. And he comes out and says, rabbi. And so, what does he mean when he says this? I think what he's saying is Jesus is worthy to be recognized by this title. When Jesus confronts rabbis of the day in the Jewish religion, it was kind of viewed as a place of position. It was kind of viewed as a title. And it is. You call someone a teacher, that's their title in a sense, right? But I think what Nathaniel is doing here is, one, recognizing he is a teacher. He is a spiritual guide, so to speak. But also recognizing, implicit in this, is recognizing Jesus is worthy of that position, right? If you tell someone, and even if they're a school teacher or not, but if you just go up to someone, let's say I go up to Chuck and I say, Chuck, you're my teacher. What does that mean about Chuck? One, he knows something, right? Two, I've learned from him. And three, it's kind of a respectful thing to say to Chuck, right? Like, I value what you have, and I look to you for something, right? And so when Nathaniel says to Jesus, Rabbi, he's kind of saying the same thing, right? You have something worthy knowing, worthy of knowing. I am going to subject myself to whatever it is you have to teach. And thirdly, you are valuable or respected enough to be my teacher, my rabbi. And so when Nathaniel says this, 
it's really a huge step. He goes from not knowing who Jesus is, skeptical of the whole situation. Is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? To when Jesus sees him, he says, Rabbi. Right? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 8, Jesus says this, But do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Now, I'm just kind of pulling that out of the context. We didn't read Matthew 23. But that's Jesus talking to a bunch of people who liked being teachers, right? Like who liked the status of being viewed as a teacher or as a guide, right? What about when Nathaniel calls Jesus rabbi? Do you think he's falling into this trap? I don't think so. When you read that verse again, it says, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers, When you read Matthew 23, the implication is, look, you're not the teacher. You don't need to strive to be recognized as the teacher and given some position of authority that you don't have. There's one teacher, right? So Nathaniel, when he's calling Jesus rabbi, if we didn't understand this situation, we might say, doesn't Jesus later say that people aren't supposed to be called rabbi? That's true, but they're not to be taking the place of God as teacher. So when Nathaniel calls Jesus rabbi and he's not rebuked for this, I think this is Jesus accepting, like, I am the rabbi. I am the great teacher, right? And so it makes sense, doesn't it? Look at earlier in John chapter 1. John introduces us to Jesus in verse 1 by saying this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you keep reading in John chapter 1, this unfolds more. Like when you first read it, if you've never read John 1 before, you're like, what in the world is going on here? How is the word God? How is the word with God? How are words in the beginning? What does that mean? But as you unfold John 1, you see that he's really talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word, and he's been there since the beginning, and he is God, right? So when we get to Nathaniel seeing Jesus with his eyes open really for the first time and he says rabbi does it make sense that Jesus can teach who is he he's the word he is the one he is the teacher right because he is what he is teaching right no one in the history of the world has ever been as authoritative on their material as Jesus was on his right he was the material and so when Nathaniel says Rabbi, he's absolutely right. Jesus has every right and authority to be teacher. So let me ask you this question. Is Jesus your teacher? Do you look to Jesus when you have questions? Do you look to Jesus when you're confronted with a dilemma? Right? Nathaniel probably didn't understand everything, kind of like us, right? Like, he probably had questions and doubts and fears and struggles and dilemmas and problems. But I think this is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus where when he confronts that stuff, he now knows Jesus is his teacher. Instead of having to look to Moses or instead of having to look to the, the rabbis of the day, he now says, Jesus is my teacher. Do we do the same thing? That's a personal challenge. I want you to kind of look at your heart and look at your life and say, am I doing that? Mark chapter 10. Turn there with me. Mark chapter 10. 
I apologize, this lesson involves several other verses and other places, so that involves us switching around a little bit, but hopefully it'll be helpful for you. Uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want you to regain my sight. You know, this blind guy was confronted with a dilemma, right? Like he had a problem. He couldn't see. Fundamentally, when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for me? What does this blind guy recognize about Jesus? He can't see, but he still sees something in Jesus, right? And he calls him rabbi or rabbinai or however you want to say that, right? It's the same kind of idea. It's the same kind of word in a lot of ways. And so this guy, when he has a problem... Even though he doesn't have eyesight like you and me, he sees something in Jesus, and that's Jesus is the teacher, right? So we got to be like that blind guy. When we have a problem in our life, who do we go to as our teacher? It needs to be Jesus. When you have a question in John chapter 9, I think this is a good example of this. In John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now Jesus, beginning in verse 3, starts to kind of unfold this answer and tell them their misunderstandings and tell them what's really going on here. But when the disciples have a question, who are they going to? Jesus, right? Maybe their question's misguided. Maybe they have bad information. Regardless, if you have a question, let Jesus sort that out. Right? We need to have that same mentality. Jesus, you're my teacher. I have a question about something, whether it's valid or not, help me sort it out. Jesus, I have a problem, whether it's legitimate or not, help me solve it. Jesus needs to be our rabbi, our teacher. The second thing that I see in John 1 that Nathaniel says about Jesus is right after rabbi, he says, you are the son of God. It'd be great and all if we believe Jesus is our teacher. I think that's true. And we need to, like Matthew 23 says, recognize that there's really one teacher. So when we call Jesus teacher, we need to come with that authority that he is the one teacher, right? But I think this second part helps us understand like why we view him as the one teacher, because he's the son of God. I think a lot of people today kind of adopt this idea that Jesus was a great man and he was a good teacher, but he wasn't the only teacher, right? We look at Jesus as one source of truth, just like there might be another one and another one and another one. People tend to do that today, right? Jesus is the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, he is the teacher and he is absolute. There is no one that stands beside Jesus, right? He is the rabbi. So Nathaniel recognizes that he is the son of God in verse 49. Really, I think when we read Psalm 2, if you want to go ahead and look back at that, turn to Psalm 2. 
I like this psalm because it connects a couple things that we're going to get to a little later in this lesson. But I think by Nathaniel saying he's the son of God, that really Jewish people would have recognized it the fulfillment of a promise. They wouldn't have just heard like, ah, oh, what a foreign concept, the son of God. We didn't know God was going to have a son. Old Testament is full of this imagery of there would be one like the Son of God coming. And that inherently he would do some other things that we'll talk about in a minute. But when you turn to Psalm 2, look at what it says. I think Nathaniel is affirming this psalm. When he says that he's the Son of God, I think he might have thought of passages like this. If you look at Psalm chapter 2, uh, in verse 7, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like the potter's vessel. We'll elaborate on this some more in a moment. But I think Nathaniel is saying this is the son of God that we've heard about. Not a one of many sons of God. In a sense, we're, we're sons or we're children of God, right? But he is the son of God. John 1, he was in the beginning, right? John emphasizes this point, I believe, and I th it's possible I miscounted this. I started second-guessing myself a little bit here. At least... Four times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says he's the Son of God. So John really wants to like hammer this point that he is the Son of God. This meant radical change for Nathaniel. You know, if you actually acknowledge someone as being the Son of God, what does that mean you then have to do? Right? I think minimally it, he becomes an apostle, which means one sent on a mission. Fundamentally, it changed his purpose, right? Like he was doing his own thing under the fig tree. Jesus sees him, calls him to himself. And now we know that what do the apostles end up doing when Jesus is gone? They're sent on a mission to tell everybody about Jesus, right? His whole life was turned upside down because he said, Jesus, you're the son of God. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? If you do, your life is going to get flipped upside down. Right? Sometimes that's comfortable, sometimes that's not. <laughs> but that's what happens. That's what happened to Nathaniel. That's what happens to us. If you were to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and I'm not going to read any verse from Colossians 3, but if you look at the whole of Colossians 3, it's the portrait in a very practical, day-to-day -day kind of way of how your life is turned upside down as a Christian. You know, you used to live this kind of life, whatever way you wanted to live, and now you live it differently. That means instead of saying some things like lies, now you tell the truth, right? Maybe instead of stealing, you work hard to provide for others, right? Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, these are good passages that show us how when we acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God, that has to change our life. If it doesn't, I would argue that you never really believed it, right? And so we have to be like Nathaniel, be willing to kind of change our life, be one sent on a mission. And the mission that Jesus sends us on is to live righteously and to tell people about him. So are you willing to change your life because you believe 
Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to die for Jesus? That's not one that we're often confronted with in America. Thankfully, there's a lot of tolerance for various beliefs here, and we can proclaim we believe freely, right? But things may change. You may end up living somewhere where that's not the case. Those countries exist. There's plenty of them. Are you willing to suffer harm or even death because you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Nathaniel was. If you fast forward to the end of his life, tradition says that Nathaniel preached in several countries. Then he translated the Gospel of Matthew into the language of East Indian and taught it in that country. His pagan enemies cruelly beat and crucified him, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I've read to you guys before. Do you think Nathaniel really believed that Jesus was the Son of God? He died for it. He spent his life on a mission, and he died for it. We have to believe in that same kind of way. In verse 49 of John 1, we come back. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Next thing he says, you are the King of Israel. Go back to Psalm 2. This is where the connection that I said we would get to in a moment. Psalm chapter 2. I didn't want to jump the gun on this, but it's almost hard to talk about Psalm 2 without mentioning both the Son of God and the King of Israel. Because when you look at Psalm chapter 2 and you go to verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And that's when he says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is just one of many places that connects the Son of God with being a king. And so when Nathaniel says, you're the one teacher, rabbi, you are the son of God, it's almost necessary for him to say the king of Israel because of passages like Psalm 2. There are other places where you can kind of see uh, this idea in Zechariah 9. That's kind of a hard book to find if you're like me when you start getting into those books. You, you flip over a page and you've missed it. But Zechariah chapter 9 in verse 9, reads this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even the colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you remember any times where Jesus fulfilled this scripture? When he's coming into Jerusalem right before he dies, what's he riding? A donkey. And it said it was to fulfill this passage of Scripture. Jesus was the Son of God, but he was also the King of Israel. Nathaniel believed that. Uh, you could go to John 12 to look at Jesus coming into Jerusalem. I think several of the Gospels mention that account. So, as King of Israel, Jesus is obviously has to have a kingdom, doesn't he? You don't have a king without a kingdom, right? Otherwise, you look insane. I'm the king of what? I don't know. Then you say, okay, well, get out of here, right? But Jesus has a kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, in verses 6 through 7, you, you can mark this down. I'm not going to read them. But in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it talks about the king that God would send, this king of Israel, would reign in peace, justice, and righteousness. Does Jesus do that? Yeah. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, it says, and this is a quotation from it, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. 
the king, this king of Israel, this promised son of God. Does Jesus fit that description? Yeah. In Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9, this is the depiction, the weird picture in Isaiah 11 of all these random, like, predatory and non-predatory animals just kind of chilling together. You have lions and bears and gazelles and things just hanging out. No big deal. And I think what's said there is that his reign brings unity among enemies, this king of Israel that's going to come. Those who don't naturally pair together will be together. Did Jesus do that? Ephesians 2, right? He tore down the dividing wall of hostility so that we might be united in him. Do you, this is the question, do you, like Nathaniel, recognize that Jesus is the king of Israel? Do you? If so, the question for you is, have you subjected yourself to be a part of his kingdom? Did you know that doesn't just happen? It's not like, oh yeah, okay, I think probably Jesus was the, the king of Israel, and now I'm all of a sudden part of the kingdom. You know, there's things you actually have to do for citizenship. I'm not going to talk at length about that, um, but if the, you haven't taken the steps to become a citizen of that kingdom that God talks about, you're not a citizen of that kingdom, and arguably you don't really believe that he's the king. Nathaniel did, and so we need to believe that Jesus is the king of Israel. The last thing that Nathaniel says, and it's not chronologically the last thing, but it's kind of the question. Nathaniel has. Go back to John chapter 1 verse 46. John chapter 1 verse 46. This is the question that is asked. Nathaniel, speaking to Philip, says this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And how does Philip respond? Come and see. Now we never have the follow-up we never see Philip come up to Nathaniel and be like, so did you find anything good? Right? But when Nathaniel really actually comes and sees, we talked about He says, Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. Do you think Nathaniel sees something good? So he never comes out and says, yes, I saw something good. But I think Nathaniel realizes he sees something good. The meaning of good in this text is of good constitution or nature, useful. Do you think Jesus saw or Nathaniel saw use in Jesus? Rabbi, do you think he needed a teacher? Do you think he needed to see the Son of God? He's been waiting for it for a long time. Do you think he wanted to see a king in Israel? Yeah. So Nathaniel didn't see anything at first, right? He didn't he wondered. Why didn't Nathaniel wonder if anything good could come out of Nazareth? Do you think perhaps he's biased a little bit? If for whatever reason he just didn't like Nazareth. Like, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? Right? And perhaps, not only is he biased, uh, he's just kind of misfocused, right? He's put his focus on something physical, maybe. Nazareth. Ugh. When it should have been on something more meaningful. The content of who Jesus was the substance of why he came. But in fact, all he could see was Nazareth, right? So my question for us is, do we believe that Jesus is good? Like, is he useful to you? Is he good? Does he have a good nature? 
another question that you need to consider is like, are you like Nathaniel? Are you not seeing Jesus as good because perhaps you're a little biased? You know, you come to Jesus with your preconceived notions and he's not fitting into them. And so you say, oh, well, he can't be good, right? Do we do that sometimes? Like, I think that if I really love someone, I should be able to sleep with them. Is that what Jesus teaches? No. So does that make Jesus bad, right? But if I come with that bias of what I think, I'm tempted to say Jesus is not good. We have to get rid of that. Nathaniel had to get rid of his bias about Nazareth and come and see. We have to be like Nathaniel and be willing to just come and see without bias and without being improperly focused on physical. We come to Jesus focusing on spiritual. And when we do that, we see how good he is. So that's our challenge from Nathaniel is to be like him in that way. Philippians chapter 2. I think in the last like five lessons I've referenced Philippians chapter 2. I just noticed that. But if you go to Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11... And it talks about how Jesus came from heaven and he subjected himself, taking the form of a bond servant, right? And he came to serve men and ultimately to die for them. Does Jesus look good? Like, is he appealing as just like a lowly servant who gets killed? Not really, but not until you focus on the spiritual. Like, who was he? Why did he come? What did he accomplish? Sure, he was from Nazareth. Sure, he was just a carpenter's son. Sure, he wasn't that good looking. Right? Sure, a lot of people didn't like him. But if we focus the way Nathaniel focused, we can see the good when we come and see. So that's our challenge. So, are you like Nathaniel? That you're willing to come and see without any bias, being focused on the spiritual? If you are, great. Keep doing that. Perhaps the next step for you is if you're doing that, Maybe you need to be more like Philip. Maybe you need to be the one inviting people to come and see. You know, that's evangelism. Sometimes all it takes is come and see. Let people investigate for themselves, right? Do you see Jesus as the one true good? Like, do you believe that of all the goods in the world, and all the goods that have ever been, and I mean by good things, good circumstances, things we deem good in whatever way. Do you see Jesus as the truest one? That he is the best good that's ever come or will ever come? If not, work on that. Because you have to. Luke 18 reads this. You can just listen to me as I read it if you'd prefer to do that. Luke 18, the rich young ruler, you guys remember kind of his story? He comes to Jesus with this question. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. When Nathaniel saw something good, do you think he saw God in Jesus? John 1, right? He was the Word, he was from the beginning, and he was God. We have to see Jesus as good, not because of the values we have, but because he is God, and that's what makes him good. If you want to see God and realize eternal life, because that's really the big promise, right? The big promise of God is that we could be a glory to him for all eternity, that we don't have to die, right? 
If you want to experience that, you have to look to Jesus as your teacher, as your rabbi. You have to trust Jesus as the promised son of God. You have to submit yourself to Jesus, the king of Israel. And you have to know that Jesus is good, despite whatever else other people may be saying. I hope this lesson was helpful for you in some way. I know we all are kind of in different places in life and we have our own struggles. But hopefully you can see how Nathaniel's words are challenging you maybe in specific spots in your life to reevaluate, to refocus. And if you've never been a Christian, if you've never submitted yourself to the King of Israel by acknowledging he is the Son of God, um, by making that good confession, as we sometimes say, or even repenting of the sins that you've been living in, right? Being baptized so you can be washed and be forgiven of those sins, and then committing your life to be turned upside down so that you could be faithful to God on your mission, right? If that's not a process you've ever gone through, then I would say that you really haven't acknowledged Jesus the same way Nathaniel acknowledged him. And that's maybe your application this morning. If you are a Christian and you're just struggling with things, refocus. Get back to Jesus being your teacher. Get back to Jesus being the Son of God, the King of Israel. He's the one good that you need. If anyone has any needs from the congregation this morning, let someone to your left or your right know. They can help you. Or if you want to make an announcement, come forward. We can help you with that. But this song that Richard's going to lead us in is really your time to think through that stuff. So uh, please come while we stand and sing.